Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Yeah, it is Mornings with Carmen, just without Carmen, who's still last I've seen, because she's been sharing some photos of her and her family on their vacation up in Canada, enjoying much cooler weather, because if she was back home in Middle Tennessee, where she does her show from, ah, yeah, heat dome. That heat dome is sliding more and more to the east, still affecting southern Minnesota all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico. Um, Thankfully, now in the Twin Cities where I am standing right now, it's still going to be a warm day, but with the first day of the Minnesota State Fair, at least it's not excessive heat warning, just a heat advisory. Regardless, regardless, we are looking forward to cooler weather, hopefully coming in for much of the nation uh, over the next several days. Well, as we start off the morning like we usually do, let's look at our Growing Your Faith verse again in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 16, a person who gets ahead by oppressing the poor or showing gifts, showering gifts it is, on the rich will end in poverty. Now, I am a fan of musicals. My favorite musical is The Music Man. It's kind of an illustration of one who does oppress the poor. Professor Harold Hill was, at least originally, playing on the relatively poor River City, Iowa folks and uh, promising to put together that boys' band. Now, as you know, the story does progress, and thanks to Marion, the librarian, he has a change of heart. And in, at, the end of the, at the end of the movie, he's, you know beloved by those who he sought to exploit. There's another relatively famous uh, musical. Not as I'm not as big a fan of this one. It's called How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. The main character there, J. Pierpont Finch, uses questionable practices that both exploit those who are under him while he cozies up to the more powerful rich people in the corporation as he makes his way up the corporate ladder at Worldwide Wicket Company. Now, the downside to musicals is, you know, they have happy endings. They're musicals. They're supposed to have a happy ending, or at least usually do. In real life, not so much. Now, a person willing to do either, to exploit the poor or shower gifts and wealth on the rich to gain favor, is a truly sad person. Now, from a Godward viewpoint, several issues here. They don't honor or revere God or the poor person who is made in the image of God. They don't fear who will avenge those who hurt the poor. God says he does that. They don't honor the call of God through Proverbs and other parts of the Bible to serve others honestly. This past week, my pastor was preaching in First Colossians, or rather in Colossians 3, and when he landed on verses 23 through 25, it just kind of, when I was reading this, uh, our verse today, it just came to mind again. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as a reward, and that the master, that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done. For God has no favorites. Bribery dishonors God, and he will judge accordingly, oppressing people, uh, well, 
does not honor God, and he will judge accordingly. Now, remember, we're talking Proverbs. Yes, there's the spiritual aspect. There's also the human relations aspect, because Proverbs is concerned about both. And a person who works honestly and creates products and services honestly builds good relations and blesses other people. Oppressing the poor, yeah, you may have short-term gain, but long-term pain with legal troubles, potentially bad reputation, other issues can arise. Bribing the rich, again, short-term gain, long-term pain. I'm telling you, most rich people will see through you eventually, even if they don't initially. And really, if you don't have, let me put it this way, you, you cozy up to them, but when they really need something from you, your actual, some actual skills from you that you don't have, you're going to come up short, that's not going to look good for you. So in the end, either way, by exploiting or by just trying to bribe, you will end up in poverty. Remember what Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sin nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired in doing what is good. At just the right time, you will reap a harvest of blessing if you don't give up. Well, again, this is Mornings with Carmen, and, you know, we are living in an increasingly diverse country, not just ethnically, but socially, religiously, a lot of different viewpoints. While it's easy in many ways to live in a country that's more in line with a biblical and Judeo-Christian worldview as a Christian, it's not impossible to live and raise kids in the Lord in a pluralistic society and do it to God's glory. Next, we're going to talk with a mom doing just that with her husband, living faithfully and graciously and raising their kids to be a faithful witness in the nation of India. This is Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. You know, as a parent... We often feel caught between a rock and a hard place. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen here on Faith Radio, and you feel the pressure from family to do one thing, from their neighborhood and community to do another. There's constant pressures with social media and pressure. Okay, you get the idea. You can easily lose your mind as a parent. Well, right now, I want to talk with uh, Tanya Rao. She is joining us from Delhi, India, where, okay, it's warm there in Delhi today. It's like 90 degrees, at least from a... you got to understand, Tanya, I'm a Minnesotan. Uh, which is kind of a colder northern part of the U.S. I mean, it's summertime here, so we have 90s, but you have a little more often than we do. Yes, I have to agree. (laughs) Well, thank you for joining us. Well, for you this afternoon, it's almost dinner time in Delhi, India. Now, I, I saw an article about you that you wrote at the Gospel Coalition and talking about raising our kids without losing our minds. Now, here you are, you're a mom, you and your husband are homeschooling your two girls, and you also, okay, I know you love your country. I, wa- <laughs> I, I want you to paint us a picture, because, you know, here, here in America, unless we've traveled there, we've not seen it. From okay. Give us your eyes. Help, help us see India through your eyes right now. Right. Um, so India is beautiful. I mean, I might sound completely biased, but that has to be fair right? because I'm Indian. There you go. <laughs> and yeah, uh, but but it's so diverse because, uh, like, from an outside point of view, I think India would just look like a very very religious country, which it is. It is certainly, and you could see that in every angle, in every little things that you would uh, explore through all over India. 
but it is so diverse. I mean, every state, every 50 kilometers from uh, from one place to other, you would see that there is so much of diversity in our language, in, in our culture, in just the way we dress up. And so we could be somewhat alien to even each other in, in the sense in the sense of our dressing up or in the sense of our food patterns and uh, the norms that we have. It could be very different, but yet there is something that's kind of very pan that runs throughout India. I mean, there are some ideologies that are kind of very pan-Indian. Mm-hmm. So it's very diverse, but uh, very beautiful uh, via its landscape. And there's, I mean, I mean, there was this tour uh, that me, uh, my husband and I, we decided to take via roadways because uh, it just helped us kind of give us a different perspective about how our country is and to give that perspective to our girls and mm-hmm. to see how it looks like, you know, and, and I mean, you could, you could, you could have the mountains and the plains and the desert and the beach and all, all of that within, within our country, but also just the local cultures and everything. It's beautiful. It's diverse, but also diversity means a lot of ideas. Yes, <laughs> so, it does. Yes, yeah. it does. As a matter of actually, yesterday we were talking with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News, and we were talking about a situation in India, but over – now, you're in Delhi, and this was over in the uh, Manipur area where there's been some violence against a, a group that – a minority Christian group in that area. I mean, that's not what's happening in all of India, is it? No, no. I mean, uh, there, see, there are there are crimes that happen all over the country, but but that's not very alien uh, from any other country per se. Uh, Manipur stands on the north uh, eastern side of India. We are quite at the center, which is the capital city of our country, Delhi. So uh, Manipur uh, Manipur is a little distant, but yes, what happened was horrific. What happened was extremely sad. Uh, but uh, we have sadly such instances that happen even in Delhi, uh, mm. per se, or okay. other parts of India. Okay. Well, again, referring back to your article that I'm uh, that I saw, raising our kids without losing our minds. In the article, I, I love your line. You talk about pluralism simply, you know, because you live in a pluralistic, a diverse culture, a, a, a nation like that, and right. pluralism. You wrote in there simply means that. Different ideologies, belief systems, and ideas coexist. It's not a moral statement. It's just a realistic statement. Now, here in America, where we once were more homogenous and, you know, Judeo-Christian in our, in our culture, that's fracturing. In what way would you encourage us not to be afraid of that current reality? Right. Uh, see, I could, I could just uh, get back from uh, what, where I grew up. Now, like, I grew up not just a Christian, but uh, but I was a pastor's daughter. So that mm. kind of greater implication living in a dominantly uh, Hindu culture uh, where, where I, even though I went to a Christian school, but because we believe in secularism, we have to celebrate all the festivals and um, all the celebrations that come as a secular person, as a secular Indian citizen which means embracing all religions and celebrating with one another. Uh, it did come with a lot of uh, legalism, uh, not just from my parents, I think, majorly, but from the influence or the, the Christian groups that uh, that I was surrounded with, because there was a lot of legalistic attitude that was given that, no, you must not partake of any of such things. And uh, as a child, I always felt... Uh, 
well, I, I don't think it's anything wrong to be, you know, just, just to go out or do something with my friends. I mean, I mean, I, I, how does that make a difference? And I always struggled with that ideology of kind of limiting myself to legalism. Uh, and and, and as, as a result, I had a lot of Christian friends uh, that I know of who've kind of slightly uh, wandered so far away from God because they felt like this is just something that I cannot touch because God probably requires a lot out of me or, or the Bible or the church or, or this life requires a lot out of me. Hmm. Therefore... Uh, Okay, Tanya, uh, let's pick up on that as after the break because okay, you're you're living in this Christian community within the broader Indian culture and you, you talked about the legalism and I want to go from there and then we want to talk about how you're trying to raise your kids to to have that good balance and gracious approach that you talk about in the article. So, again, we're talking to Tanya Rao and her article was at the Gospel Coalition. It's called Raising Your Children Without Losing Your Minds. We'll continue this conversation here on Faith Radio. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who like wake up, they come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. Again, graciously engaging with those who disagree. (laughs) Not, Not just in the outside world, sometimes within your own group. Sometimes that is an issue you have to deal with. I'm Paul. And this is Mornings with Carmen, and we're talking right now with Tanya Rao. She is from Delhi, India, a homeschool mom. She and her husband, Deepak, homeschooling two little girls. And uh, if you ever have a chance to go on YouTube and look up copyright memories, uh, they did a travel log of their travels during COVID up and down the western coast of, uh, it was the western coast of India, right? Yes. yes oh, beautiful. You're right. <laughs> Your country is Beautiful. So, but again, as you're struggling, as you and your husband are having kids, and you said you grew up in a legalistic background within the Christian tradition in that country. Now, Christianity has been in India for many centuries, um, and but you're right. I mean, you you mentioned about these legalistic tendencies because they're trying to differentiate themselves from the rest of the world or the outside world, but. Were they building bridges between the Christian community to to share the gospel and to just again ways of showing God's grace? Right. Uh, so, so we we I think we stand right in the center 
and uh, we are trying to uh, build that gap uh, i think it, it it becomes very difficult if the choice is just between black and white mm-hmm. where there's a whole range of gray and uh, and it's basically just about your conscience and how you are connected with god and what what god tells to you to each culture now uh, like for example you would just take i'll just take a quick example in our culture uh, there is one thing that runs more or less pan indian culture like i mentioned uh, initially mm-hmm. there's something where we uh, say touch the feet of elders which which uh, which ideally means that i respect you and therefore i want to touch your feet now this would be considered very very uh, in a very broader sense a very hinduistic attitude but uh, but it also depends upon how how you feel kind of led to it now i was kind of raised up in a culture where i was completely bar- barred from celebrating any any uh, festivals that were not christian mm-hmm. whereas my friends did and i felt a lot left out i felt a lot of peer pressure and i i kind of grew up into that and i accepted it because now it, that that had become a part of part of my life and i was okay about it but when i had a lot of friends who were celebrating all the other festivals it made me feel a little uh lost and out of space and and therefore i had a lot of struggles during my teenage to find uh, friends that could understand me or therefore me making good relatable friends uh so when when we had uh, our daughters deepak and i Mm-hmm. we just want them to be aware of all that's happening they live in this pluralistic country where we have all all religions where all religions believe in these gods and uh, they have these celebrations and you must know who you are and have that relationship with god now anything and everything should not be on the outside your faith is majorly driven on the inside and 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 not, nothing on the outside should seem to bother you Okay. And and you're not saying that okay the other religions you're not saying everything is equal everything is true. It's just you're 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 again back to the reality you're living in a diverse culture. Right. 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 Just because we are different doesn't mean that uh, or or they are different it doesn't mean we cannot have different point of views. We do have different point of views. We have different opinions and we must learn to uh, respect each other but doesn't mean that we must accept everything that's there. Uh to have that broader point of view to have that uh, idea that is kind of uh, more open but also knowing who you are and who your god is and to right. believe uh, that with full conviction that has to be our stand so tanya how old are your girls right now uh so they're eight she just turned eight so she's uh, my older one's eight and my younger one's four okay so as you and your husband are trying to balance this out and you bring this out in the article various scripture principles you're applying to guide them because you're again you're homeschooling your kids and i'm sure the the general culture is looking at you saying why are you doing that don't you trust us but you're you're trying to build something into them what are you trying to build into your into your daughters uh scripturally to help them navigate living in india but being faithful to christ right this is this is very very uh, uh, beautiful you know uh, paul because homeschooling is against the tide so uh, i'm sure in america it's it's still very dominant and it it has come up but in india homeschooling uh, culture is very, i mean it's just kind of beginning to grow so there are a few community uh, that uh, that are into homeschooling but in in a city like delhi you can just really hand pick the amount of uh, homeschooling families that exist so i often feel so distant and so lost because i'm probably the only one uh, who's doing this apart from a few families that i know 
um so it does get very difficult because a lot of my friends a lot of uh, our family in fact uh, would just say that why would you do something that's so contrary or something that's so different and why would you want to do this and uh, well i was completely completely convicted to follow this because i've seen so many families uh and their children and and how their relationship with christ was just so beautiful and and the kind of uh, it's it's almost it's beautiful the kind of relationship we have the kind of time we have every morning to do our devotion to talk through the bible to just open up and go fresh there and to start and talk about things and it's not just something that we would uh, we would just do in a hurry and how and and because homeschooling gives us that that the freedom to kind of mix all of it together so even as we learning through world history and even if we are going through uh, learning about our, how there were greek gods or roman gods and and i'm having such healthy conversations with my uh, older daughter and when she's like oh wait you know we've read about this this uh, babylonian kingdom in the bible so that means bible is true and and when she tells me this i i have goosebumps because i'm like wow she she's able to correlate actual history with bible and she's able to have that connection drawn on our own and it it is it is beautiful that we could have that time that uh, that and this is this is those precious initial years where uh, they can kind of taken taken as much the love for learning is there the love for knowing uh, jesus is there and when those fundamentals are drawn i think uh, the rest it's their story their life with what god is building them but it's great power that uh, that god has given me uh, and uh, deepak and me to just kind of uh, take them or mold them to a, to a way that 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 is god driven that is god driven uh, again i tanya thank you for joining us this morning um and you know what this is going to be a weird question if you can answer this in like 1 minute but what is your hope for your kids as you're doing this i mean what what do you want to see a, a change save for their generation when it comes to living out their faith in india right so one of my biggest uh, hope is that they stand up for what is the truth that they would not be uh, so succumb to the peer pressure that they might uh, they, that they will definitely that they will face at some point but just being those confident girls who know that Christ is real mm. and they would they would they would be very very proud about their faith and not be uh shy or not be doubtful because they would be convicted of what their relationship with their Christ is and that that relationship would just kind of reflect the light that they would really be like that lighthouse that just emits the light all around their network mm, i love that it's what we want hope for all of our kids too uh, tanya thanks again for joining us again tanya rao you can find her article again the article is entitled raising your children without losing our minds it's uh, at the gospel coalition actually initially with the gospel coalition india but the us gospel coalition said we got to we we got to put that on our website and they did so i'm glad <laughs> they did well again tanya thanks for joining us Thank you, Paul. Yeah, this is Faith Radio. All right, I know oftentimes we read the news headlines about AI, artificial intelligence, and it, you know, it get kind of scary. We think Terminator movies or something like that. This, though, is not that. This, this is cool. I'm Paul, filling in for Carmen here on Faith Radio. Advances in a digitized surgical implant paired with brainwave reading, artificial intelligence have allowed two speech-paralyzed patients to communicate with unprecedented ability, according to a couple of recent 
studies released yesterday with similar brain-computer interfaces that had previously provided the ability to communicate for patients with spinal and brain injuries. Researchers say this new platform is actually approaching more like like we're doing right now, fluid speech. Okay, maybe mine's not that fluid. But anyway, the two patients are able to speak at a rate of about 70 words a minute, which is, okay, slightly less than half the normal conversation speed. But the fact that they're able to do that, and I'm sure there's going to be more tests done for those who, again, due to brain injury, due to, due to some sort of paralysis, to be able to be able to communicate again like that. I mean, again, this is where God gave us this wonderful creativity to use our skills to create things like technology, yeah, like AI, to help, to build, to do good. And so that one, <laughs> that news item just jumped out at me and it's like, yes, such great news there. Well, as we continue here on Mornings with Carmen, as we get ready, you know, many of us this summer, we're kind of off doing our things. Yeah, we attend church on Sunday, but, you know, all the programs get underway in the next few weeks in many communities. What type of church are you returning to? Is it just kind of the family chapel or is your church something more? I'm going to talk again with Ryan uh, Ellington, a, a pastor from Mount Zion Baptist Church down in the Carolinas, down in Lewisburg, South Carolina, uh, North Carolina, pardon me about how he's been helping to form his church into a new mode, to be more missional and more outreach-oriented. We'll talk to him in just a few moments here on Faith Radio. So, what is your church to you? Hey, I'm Paul, filling in for Carmen today here on Faith Radio. Is your church just a place you go to get your spiritual needs met? Or is there something more? I saw some research recently that talked about people who stopped attending church, not because they didn't believe what was being taught, but because they saw such purposelessness in attending. There was no focus, no mission. Now, about a year ago, I had a conversation with Ryan Ellington, who's the pastor of Mount Zion Baptist Church, and hopefully I'm getting this right, Ryan, Louisville, North Carolina? You're very close. It's Lewisburg, North Lewisburg, Carolina. Lewisburg, Lewisburg. Okay, the reason I was going that way, because... There's this whole thing with Louisville, Kentucky. It's not Louisville, it's Louisville. So it's, it's just, I don't know, it's a southern, I'm a northerner. You know, it's, it, I, yeah, Lewisburg, North Carolina. But we talked, uh, Ryan, back about a year ago, it was September of last year, about something you were trying to, as the pastor of Mount Zion Baptist Church, to move from having, and I remember the conversation, moving from a discipleship menu to a discipleship plan for your church. So I think as we talk about this and how our churches, how they can be more penetrating of our our communities and also more gro- inward growing, but also outward growing too, I want to go back to our conversation then. And when we were talking about that, there's a phrase that you brought up about moving your church from a family chapel to a missional church. Can you talk about mm-hmm. that? what you had in mind there? Because a lot of people go, family chapel, what's that? Yeah, no, that's actually a really, really big thing. Uh, family chapels are more common than anybody realizes. Probably, actually, family chapels are the most common type of church to the point that there's a good chance if you're listening to this, your church may be a family chapel. You don't even realize it. A family chapel essentially is a church that is without realizing it, designed to service the uh, the felt spiritual needs of maybe three or four or five extended families. 
if you are related to almost everybody in your church, either by blood or marriage, then you're probably in a family chapel. Now, for about 300 years, family chapels could get away with being family chapels without realizing anything was wrong, because for such a long time, there was this intense cultural pressure in the United States to go to church. You know, if you want to be a good person, better go to church. You want to go to heaven, better go to church. Want to be a good citizen, better go to church. And so so people's kids would have kids of their own, and they'd bring them to the church, and then those kids would have kids of their own and bring them to the church. And, and you could have a church of 100, 200, 300, 400, 500, even though it was literally just three or four extended families. But over time, as the culture has shifted and that social pressure has gone away, it's gotten to the point where fewer and fewer of our descendants are returning to the church through the years. And as a result, all these churches, these family chapels that for years seemed like they were thriving are shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. Our own church went from consistently having 150 to 200 people back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s to to shrinking down to in the 20s when I got there five years ago, just purely because there was absolutely nothing to bring people to the church beyond the sheer force of family ties. Mm, okay. If your church is going through something like that, that may be the reason. Okay. Well, so you were proposing for your congregation, as you were there, you said five years, and getting to know the people, you had a vision for something different, and that is to be Missional. Now, I know that term has been bantied about a lot, but in your mind, define missional and what you were hoping to build into your church going forward. Yeah, I would say that a missional church, and, and I know that different people have defined it in different ways, but I would say that the, the very, very core is that a, a missional church is a church that is built around that, that every every program you do, every uh, every sermon you preach, every anything that you do, all of it is built around fulfilling the Great Commission. Uh, Your church is not there to be a place where people in these three or four extended families baptize their kids, do their weddings, and eventually get buried in a cemetery out back. Those are all good things. But the fundamental purpose of your church is to be a almost like a, a missionary training ground where you equip people to go out and find the lost and the hurting and the broken and the struggling and introduce them to the God of the universe through Jesus Christ. I would say that is the core of what it means to be a missional church. Okay. Again, we're talking with Pastor Ryan uh, Ellington from uh, Mount Zion Baptist Church in Lewisburg, North Carolina. Again, talking about being more missional as a community of faith, as a church, yes. Now, this is not something you dropped on your congregation. You didn't say, go up Sunday morning one time and say, okay, you know, we're going to be missional. That's not what you did. Tell me how you rolled into this idea, how you were shepherding. That's Because that's the key word. How were you shepherding your congregation this way? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, you know, I think what happens with a lot of us is that we uh, we we labor under the mistaken assumption that you can just say something from the pulpit and people are just going to do it. That's not how people work. You you have to very very slowly introduce an idea and then you have to keep introducing it and keep introducing it. And so so we spent probably three straight years. Uh, the first three years that I was here, we were still in every functional sense 
a family chapel. But but all throughout those three years, I just kept pushing the Great Commission. It's gotten to the point that now every time I quote Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the, the Great Commission passage from the pulpit, I preface it by saying, I know you're probably tired of hearing this by now, but you're about to hear it again. Uh, just continually bringing it to them, continually pointing them to the mission, making that a, an obsessive emphasis in my preaching to the point that uh, now uh, I have this worksheet. Every every time I write a sermon, I, I, I start by filling out this worksheet to kind of get to the core of it. And in that worksheet, there's there's always a line on how does the main theme of this passage relate to the mission Jesus has given to us? And so every sermon ultimately comes around, whether it's about marriage, whether it's about hope, whether it's about courage, whether it's about whatever, it ultimately comes around to how this leads into the mission that Jesus has given us together. It's it's slowly, uh, I I guess, reorienting the way that the the people of the church see themselves, both as individual Christians and how they see the purpose of our, our church. I don't know if that made sense. I think so. I think so. Because you're really inviting people into living out their faith actively, both individually and communally within the church. To to actually be part of, not just to come and be served, but to see themselves as part of something bigger, to see themselves really as as part of the kingdom of God and its expansion. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Exactly. I think that's kind of what you're going. Now, uh, as we continue our conversation in a few moments with Ryan, it was about a year ago you really started the emphasis of, again, moving from this chap- family chapel, having a discipleship menu, you know, your, your Wednesday program, your kids program and all that, to having a discipleship plan. And so we're going to continue the conversation, see how things have panned out over the last year with Ryan here in just a moment. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen here on Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Okay, Jesus told us, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Is that something you're actively part of doing? Not just as an individual, which is important to do as you can, but also as part of a community of believers, your local congregation. I'm Paul again, filling in for Carmen here on Faith Radio and talking again with Ryan Ellington. He is the pastor of Mount Zion Baptist Church in Lewisburg, North Carolina, who I talked to about a year ago as we were looking at how he was moving his congregation from being one form of church, a family chapel, to which was kind of inward-focused, to being more outward-focused and mission-driven, becoming missional. And first off, Ryan, this takes discipleship on your part, on the part of the church, on the part of families. Define discipleship for us here. 
would say that discipleship is the the process of being taken under the wing of a a more mature believer, uh, not necessarily older, not even necessarily significantly more knowledgeable, but a, a more mature believer, and then trained up by them, equipped by them to fulfill the mission Jesus gave us and the, the command that he gave us. I think he actually uh, gave us kind of a roadmap to that in the Great Commission. You know, uh, we know he says, go therefore and make disciples, but then he defines making disciples. First, he says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you know, bring them into the faith. And then he says, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. I would say that the process of discipleship is, is when someone takes you under their wing and, and actively teaches you how to obey everything Jesus has commanded us. And I think that is the ingredient that's been missing in so many of our churches, especially family chapels. And then from there, you become a discipler, right? Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's kind of funny. It's, it's almost like a machine that runs itself. Uh, you know, Jesus commands us, go and make disciples, uh, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. So someone takes us under their wing and disciples us. They, uh, they baptize us into the faith. They teach us to obey everything. And then we turn around and we obey that command to make disciples, baptize them into the faith, teach them to obey everything. And it just keeps going and going and going. Yeah. Okay. So this is part of the mission. This was the mission. The Great Commission gives us the mission. And again, you were trying to take your church from being, as you said, kind of the family chapel model to being more missional. And you really, I don't want to say kicked it off, but you really put the extra emphasis on it about a year ago with your congregation. I got to ask, the reason I wanted to bring you back is, how has it panned out? What has happened in the last year? It's going well, uh, to the point that actually now, uh, when, when friends of mine who live in other towns, other things like that, ask me, how's the church going? I say, you know, we used to have dying church problems. Now we have growing church problems. <laughs> the good problems is, uh, to have. Those are the problems that you want. Now, I would actually say, arguably, growing church problems are significantly harder uh, they are significantly more exhausting. They are significantly more anxiety-inducing uh, because more people, more problems, and specifically, you know, more people who are growing in the faith, most of whom are infants in mm. the faith, more problems. We, you know, once upon a time when we were in family chapel mode, we had basically this, this relatively reliable stable of about 20 older folks, and occasionally their nieces or nephews or something like that. But, but now we have, uh, uh, we, we've literally actually more than doubled in size just in wow. the last uh, year or two since we started really pushing into missional discipleship mode. And one of the things that's happened is that the, the church is now primarily populated by people who weren't part of any church before this. So we're having to teach them literally everything. We're having to teach them the, the basics of the faith, the fundamentals of the faith, and then how to live in response to it. And, and one of the results of that is, is stress. Uh, you have <laughs> what? Stress? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's good stress. It's the stress you want. It's the kind of stress that we should expect to experience on the mission. It's the kind of stress we should see as normal. And if we're having a consistently uh, stable, simple, easy, no stress experience leading our churches, that actually means something deeply wrong. Mm. 
Yeah, I, I, I got to think because all right, you're bringing people in, and these people, not only are they un- may not have a lot of Bible knowledge, they're hurting, and that hurt's going to kind of spill out, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, you know, you're gonna you're gonna get a whole lot more uh, calls at uh, 11 p.m. You're gonna you're gonna get a whole lot more really really frantic messages from someone who was in a full on spiral, and you're 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 gonna experience so many more people who have um, I don't even know how to put it, but but uh, kind of unhealthy forms of attachment, difficulty mm-hmm. forming uh, uh, stable and, and secure relationships, though, people who have a, a difficult time making commitments and so on and so forth, people coming from all kinds of broken backgrounds, you're going to experience uh, pain that you don't typically see in lifelong church people, not necessarily because the lifelong church people don't experience pain, but because they've been trained by the church for, for nearly a hundred years to, to just keep the pain buried and, and to kind of be their own PR person. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, this brings up an important question because you can't handle all this as the pastor. Hopefully you've been shepherding your your previous, you know, the, the families that have been there. How are they embracing these new people? How are they shepherding and discipling these new people? Yeah, absolutely. So that is key because you are you are right. Uh, I as as the, the singular pastor, as the as the one under shepherd, literally can't handle all of this, not just from a not just from a volume standpoint, but from you, you only have so many emotional resources, right? You only have uh, so much uh, emotional bandwidth. And so the, the key really in all of this has been forming tight bonds between these mostly unchurched newcomers and the long timers. Uh, a big part of that has been about a year ago uh, when we first talked. We had just launched uh, kind of a shift away from the old Sunday school model. Mm-hmm. into uh, kind of a community group model. So now after the, the 10 a.m. service every week, they, they break into groups and, and they're in groups of usually about 10 or 15. And they, they talk about what they just heard in the sermon. They, they talk about what the Lord's been saying to them throughout the week. They've been talking about how they've been struggling over the week and, and they pray with each other and all those things. And, and part of what happens is that now so many of these people who, who spent 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years dormant in a, a family chapel. Now they're actively investing in the lives of these mostly unchurched newcomers and, and relationally discipling them. Uh, Long term, we, we want to actually push even further than that because community groups are good, but that's still only, that's still only you know, part of the battle. We, we eventually want to get to the point where it's, it's regular, expected, commonplace normal for for people to to get paired up with a lot of these longtime church members to meet every week for coffee meet every week for lunch come over to their house to hang out at the pool in the summertime come over for a bonfire in the fall we, we really want to get to where it's like there's a a push from the the large group congregation into the small group community group and then from there into like a, a, a micro group, like a one-on-one or a, uh, you know, two or three people gathering around and intensely experiencing relational discipleship. We're, we're not all the way there yet, but we're, we're slowly putting down the building blocks. 
All right. It's just great to hear what's happening and how your congregation, those who've been there while embracing this new opportunity. I'm sure there's been, you, like you said, there's been stress, but they're also seeing, hey, I, I can be part of what God is doing in the world. So it is exactly. It is so good to hear about this. Thank you for giving us the update almost a year later. Again, we've been talking with Ryan Ellington from Mount Zion Baptist Church from Lewisburg, North Carolina, and uh, we'll we'll keep you in prayer. And who knows, maybe another time I'll have to ask, I'll have to call you back and say, "Hey, uh, how's it going? And what changes and what challenges you guys have been facing, and how God is moving in in." pushing you through to being kingdom builders and to being disciple makers. So again, Ryan, thanks for joining us here on Faith Radio. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Again, this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening. I tell you, Ryan is quite an interesting guy. I'm going to keep following him and see how things go there. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen here on Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio as, again, we oftentimes urge you, pray the news and pray for fellow Christians in Israel right now. Yeah, church leaders there are pleading with the Israeli government to take anti-Christian attacks more seriously in that uh, country. Recent incidents of teenagers and young men spitting on nuns and priests in the old city of Jerusalem have motivated other attacks. As a matter of fact, the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem's vice president says religious extremist groups are becoming more bold with their hate because they believe the government has their backs. There's also an issue that uh, the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem is dealing with where they're having a hard time getting visas for people coming to the embassy, and hopefully they'll get that resolved here in the near future. Kind of a fun story, and this comes out of, well, I used to live in the Fargo-Moorhead area, and I lived in Moorhead, and I, I love the Red River Valley folk. There's just such a wonderful nature about them. Well, there's a story about this young boy uh, okay, not that young. He's 14 years old. Connor's his name. Car- Connor Halza. He and his family went on a fishing trip up to northern Minnesota. You, you go up there. You want to get the walleye, right? Oh, walleye is such good eats. Well, he didn't catch a walleye. He caught a wallet. A wallet with like $2,000 in it. Now, <laughs> the family fished through the wallet, and they found a business card inside, and they called the number, which eventually led them to Iowa farmer Jim Denny. Jim Denny, about a year ago, had been up north in northern Minnesota on a fishing trip, lost his wallet, thought, man, I'm never going to see that again, but he did. And they, they he, the Connors family returned the wallet, and Jim Denny's kind of, uh, want a cash reward? No, 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 we're good, we're good. They just did it because... You just do the right thing. Well, Denny did talk the teen into accepting dinner and a gift of a personalized cooler. Uh, Jim Denny also said, I'd be proud to have Connor as a grandson. I would fight for him any day. (laughs) Way to go, Connor. Well, again, this is Mornings with Carmen. If you miss any of our episodes, remember, you can always find them at MyFaithRadio.com. The podcasts are put up later in the day. You can find them on the Faith Radio app or wherever you get your podcast. Or better yet, again, just subscribe. That way you never miss an episode. I not only urge you to do that with Mornings with Carmen, but uh, Afternoons with Bill as well as Susie Larson Live. Yeah. We're here to encourage and build you up to help you live out your faith, to connect faith to life. Another hour straight ahead here on Faith Radio.
Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.